I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and founder of the Happiness Center, Ilya Gagoris, PhD. His new book is Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a practical guide to emotionally dealing with pandemics and other disasters. Most of us can handle it crisis or two, but now our country is facing four simultaneous crises, COVID-19 that impacts our physical health, an economic recession that impacts our financial security, racial upheaval that impacts our social fabric, and mental health trauma that impacts our emotional well-being. Depression, anxiety, and stress are up at an astounding 800% and still rising. Pandemic fatigue is real, and the effects of the trauma are being experienced by men and women of all ages, races, and socioeconomic levels around the world. Dr. Elia Gogoris offers practical and simple advice with seven keys to navigating any crisis. He assisted in the 1994 Los Angeles and 2010 Haiti earthquakes, the 1999 Columbine High School shooting, and is the co-host of the Kindness Happiness Connection podcast and a Thrive Global contributor. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess uh, I'll, I'll just uh, go back to what I said in, in this short intro. Depression, anxiety, and stress are up an astounding 800% and still rising. Can we start with that? Because we're assuming that seven keys to navigating a crisis, any crisis, including the pandemic, uh, will help us to mitigate some of that uh, 800% levels of depression, anxiety, and stress. Yes, and by the way, those statistics are at the end of May when the book came out. It was uh-huh. set up 700% in April. At the end of May, it was 800%. I'm assuming those numbers keep going up because the stress levels seem to be uh, going up. So we are, listen, human beings are pretty resilient. We can handle one or two crises at the same time. It's very hard to handle four crises simultaneously. This, it's unprecedented. And that's not taking into account, by the way, any personal crisis people might have, like a sick child or taking care of an elderly parent who's got Alzheimer's or going through a divorce or what have you. I'm not, we're not even counting those personal crises. We're, we're talking about just the big four that are impacting all of us right now. So our individual crises are in the context is what you're saying. We've got the big four that we're all suffering from, but there's a myriad right. of other individual and family crises that are in that context, which really... As you say, it exacerbates the problem. So it's sort of, I'm sitting here thinking, so what do we do? How do, I mean, I know you have very practical advice in your book. Maybe we should take it step by step, but how do we mitigate all of this stress and, and trauma? So first and foremost, there's a big differentiation between danger and fear. So if somebody coughs in our face, that's dangerous. That's, that's a fact. That's a medical fact. It's not a political statement. We're in danger. Fear, on the other hand, is not your friend. Fear is paralyzing. Fear is debilitating. And we certainly don't want to be making any personal and or professional decisions based on fear. So we need to, we need to separate those two. Fear is not your friend. Now, having said that, there really are four personality types when dealing with any crisis, whether it be COVID, the financial crisis, the mental health crisis, or personal crisis that we have. And we need to understand those types and how and where do we find ourselves. The first personality type, of course, is 
what we'd like to call the victim. And the victim is basically, why is this happening to me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know why, why is this happening? It's, it's the poor me, right? And they get sad and depressed and, and anxious and stressed. So that's one. Then you move on to the critic. Now, the critic, regardless of what the state or local government or federal government says, or what the World Health Organization, or even the United Nations uh, says, they criticize everything. For example, Ilya, you should wear a mask when you go outside. Well, that's stupid. Okay, Ilya, never wear a mask when you go outside. What are you trying to do, kill me? <laughs> so, regardless of what happens, the critic criticizes everything but offers no solutions. Then we get to the third type, which we like to call the bystander. Now, the bystander, mind you, a, a good person, but think of it, the deer with the headlights look, right? They're so overwhelmed by so many things beyond their control. They're so full of fear and they're paralyzed. And in essence, they do nothing. They look to their neighbors, they look to the left, they look to the right, see what anybody else is doing, but they do nothing. And what all three of these personality tests have in common is this. They offer no solution moving forward and they overcome nothing. They're poor me or they're critical, or they are just the deer with the headlights. So now we get to the fourth personality type, which is the navigator. And of course, the hope is that for you and I, and for your listeners, that we all become navigators. So what's the, and this is the, obviously the premise of this book, right? So the navigator begins with practicing self-care, meaning they take care of themselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. They tend to be aware, they, they listen to their inner wisdom and their higher power. They're flexible and adaptable, which is the third key. You know, they prepare for crisis and they take initiative, they move into action, they have a positive attitude. And finally, the last key, of course, is they perform acts of service and acts of kindness, because in the end, we are all in this together. And, and we can talk about each one of these, but so that's the idea, to become a navigator. Now, all right, all so we all stuff. want to become navigators. I guess I want to take it back a little bit. How many of us have the potential to be navigators? And and I always go back to, I guess, from my social work background, you know, our pre-morbid functioning. How did we function pre-trauma, pre-COVID-19, let's say? Maybe we weren't navigators then. How do we? And so isn't it going to be, and I don't know how many of us weren't. I don't know the statistics, let's say. But then, okay, now we have these crises. Um, can we? suddenly become navigators? I mean, are, are we going to just respond the way we've always responded? How do we make those kinds of changes for the, to be positive, to be, yeah. So Yes, that, it's a great question. Here's the funny thing about those four personality types. They all exist within each one of us. So on a personal example, when the COVID hit in the middle of March, I had speaking engagements all over the world to talk about happiness and wellness. Guess what happened to them? Canceled, canceled, canceled. Within a week, everything is gone, poof. And was I feeling like a victim? You're darn right. I'm like, I wanted to go to Barcelona and talk, gone. So, and did I have the bystander look? What, what's happening on my work? Gone. And have I been critical from time to time for certain things that the government has handled things? You're darn right I have. But here's the biggest thing. You don't want to stay there for more than an hour or two. You want to pivot. It's okay to be the victim for a little bit, but don't do it for six months. Do it for an hour or two and then shift your energy consciously and move into action. You want to criticize? 
it's not in my best interest to criticize everything and everyone, whatever they're doing for six months, because it's going to make me depressed and angry and frustrated. I can be critical for a little bit, but then I have to pivot again and shift and become a navigator. So that's, that's kind of the process. It has to be a conscious decision that we do that. This very book came out as a result of being the victim initially and not knowing what to do like the bystander. And then I have this very strong impression, Ilya, you need to write a book and you need to get it out now. Not in, you know, not next November, not in 2021. And I called my best friend and writing partner, Coach Khan, and I said, hey, man, I'm starting tomorrow morning. We got to get this book out in, in a couple months. Are you in or are you out? And he said, I'm in. And for the next 45 days, we put our butts down, basically, and we worked hard. And we got this book out that it's simple, it's practical. And if you apply what's at the end of every chapter, in essence, we have things for people to ponder and to think about, a couple questions, and then what we call a call to action, in essence. And if you do these things, you will become a navigator. So, yes, absolutely everyone can navigate. But it takes some work. It's the same thing with happiness. Happiness is a choice, but you've got to do the work. And, but you're, and in your book, you're no. giving us really tangible kinds of questions to ask and things to consider and actions to take. So it's it's not this kind of sort of esoteric uh, explanation or philosophical. It's very practical is what you're saying. But you also said, didn't you, did you just say that this the book came as a result of your own personal experience of feeling like a victim? Yes, because I have the bystander and the victim. Like I said, everything was gone. And, and I thought to myself, now what am I going to do? I had no plans to write a book in 2020. I was busy. I had so many things that I was doing. But all of a sudden, everything opened up. And again, you have to listen to your intuition and your inner wisdom. When I heard the message, you got to get the book out. And it was very specific, like in 45 days. Initially, I kind of laughed at it. My first book, which became a number one bestseller, took me three years to write. How the heck am I going to get a book out in 45 days? But I, and I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So that's why I reached out to my partner. And lo and behold, 45 days to the date, we got the ebook out. And I think the paperback came out about 10 days later after that. And ever since then, it's been insanity. Like doing interviews, radio, television, podcasts, webinars, like nonstop, because everybody wants to know, you know, we're all in this together. And I wrote both of these books from my heart, not as a PhD, like something esoteric, like you called it very well. You know, not that I can't write academic books, but I wanted to write this book that if you're 18 years old and you're just finishing with high school, and you're about to start your life, or if you're 75 years old and you're in your golden years, you can get something out of it and do it now. So uh, my biggest motto is do not procrastinate your happiness any longer because life is too short. You don't even know if you're going to be here next month. And I'm not being morbid. I'm just looking at the facts. I don't know if I'm going to be here. So I'm choosing happiness and productivity and helping other people now, not next year, not when this passes, not when I get a job, not when be happy now, but you got to work at it. You have to work at it. We are living in the moment. You're so right. I mean, there aren't a lot of places for us to go. We might as well be working on uh, all of this. Let's start with the self-care. Like, what do we do for self-care? You know, first of all, be aware. I think, as you say, that's critical. But for a lot of people, they're, they're not that you sort of go about your business, get your act you know, your chores done, take care of the stuff you have to do and kind of block out that awareness. And that's, as you say, that's probably, you have to start with being aware, right? Um, Physical, mental, emotional, 
and spiritual needs. So we wake up let, in the morning. An, yeah, what do we do? An easy example. A very easy example. Like before the pandemic hit, I, I used to go for, uh, you know, go for a walk an hour, for an hour, three times a week. It was mostly because I had to do it because I'm getting up in years, you know, I've got to move. It's good for you. I, I do three miles, you know. When the pandemic hit and as my own personal crisis rose to levels that I've never seen before, I decided to go for a walk every single day. Do you know that I haven't missed one day since April? Seven days a week, no matter what. And now I do it because I want to do it. It's not an I have to do it. I want to do it because I'm outside and I don't always take my phone with me either. Like I'm not always talking on the phone. I, sometimes I leave it at home and I walk and I listen to the birds. I look at the blue skies. I feel the breeze. I think I'm grateful that I'm, I'm able to do that. And it reduces my stress level and it boosts my immune system by being outside and walking around. Movement is life. So that's one very specific thing that pretty much anybody can do. The other thing, and this about, is more I want to ask you, I want to stop you there. Like there are people who are, I don't know what your circumstances are, but there are people who yeah. live alone, people live as a couple, three generations. You know, there's all kinds of combinations, I guess, and permutations. But so what do you do when someone, let's say, who you're living with, constantly or a whole family that you're living with uh, tries to sabotage this you know you're pretty much aware that this is something you have to do you're going to walk every day you walk three times a week now you're going to walk every day but you have a spouse or a partner or a child who doesn't want you to do that yeah what how do you how do you reconcile that those behaviors i guess you know what? I, I invite them along. Sometimes I go for a walk with my wife or with one of my kids. Sometimes I do it by myself. I invite them along. If they don't want to come, it's their free agency and their free choice. But they can't intrude upon my choice to take care of myself. So that's how I see it. In other words, nobody has a right to tell you not to exercise or not to move just because they don't want to do it. You're not forcing them to do it, but they certainly can't force you not to do it. Good solution. And I implore you, movement, movement. I'm not talking about becoming an a-, a triathlete or or a champion, you know, runner. I'm talking about just movement. Be outside. Breathe the fresh air. Don't be stuck in your home. Don't be trapped. Because that's at least I control that part. I mean, I control if I can go to a restaurant or to a store or whatever because things are closed. Or but I control movement at least. We we still have control some things in our lives. Not everything has been taken away from us. I think that's a good point because I think sometimes, and I talk to many people, there's this this sort of attitude. I have, I don't have any choices, and that's not true. Like you say, control, but also choice. You have a choice to walk outside or sit on your couch for the next six months. If you, that's up to you, and you may have other choices. You know, some we have maybe some people have more than others, but you do have a choice, and I, I think that's an important. Let me tell point. you. Let me share with you an, another big uh, choice that this falls more on the mental and emotional well-being. I have not watched news on television since April. I purposely shut down the TV because if you have the TV on 24-7 in news, every hour on the hour, breaking news, breaking news with the noise and the sound and the images and the fear-based bombardment of your senses, I, I think that's very unhealthy for me. Now, people say, well, are you ignorant then? Or you don't you know what's happening in the world? No, I get on the internet and I go to trusted sources, places that I knew before the pandemic hit, will, will just tell you the truth. Not, not to the left, not to the right, this, just facts, ma'am, basically. So I'm very well aware of what's happening in the world. I just don't need all that stuff in my head or in my face. 
it's not healthy for me. And I love television, by the way. Don't get me wrong. And I, and I love watching the news. I'm, I'm like a news freak, honestly. I've been addicted to watching news for half a century, but not under these circumstances because the way they're presented is not in my best interest. So I choose, again, I'm not, I'm telling, or limited. If you feel like, don't watch it 24-7. Do, do half an hour. Get the basics and then get out and watch something that entertains you, maybe a comedy that brings laughter to you, or turn it off altogether and spend more quality time with your loved ones. There are a lot uh, well, of I think this is sort of a, this, this is a good pandemic. example, though. I, I think this is a good example of one of the other um, seven keys to navigating the crisis. Sort of comes up as you're talking. You know, be flexible, choose flexibility. So maybe you did watch, you know, twenty four, you know, news twenty four seven before the pandemic, but it doesn't work now, and you have to realize. I think that's what you're saying. It doesn't work, so you have to adapt, pivot and avoid the pain that it causes you? Is that what you're saying? Like, be able to be flexible. Oh, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. And by the way, if you think you can continue to do things you used to do before this pandemic hit, even things that made you successful, mind you, prior to the pandemic, and continue to do them during this time and still be successful, I'm sorry, you're sadly mistaken. That's not going to happen. We have to be flexible and adaptable. You know, and we like to use an image or an allegory, if you will, of the oak tree and the palm tree. The oak tree typically signifies strength. It's big, it's huge, it's been around for 100 years. It's unbending, but guess what happens to the oak tree? If there's enough moisture and enough saturation of the ground and enough wind during a hurricane, what happens to oak trees? They come crashing down on people, cars, homes, and so on. The palm tree, on the other hand, quite a bit thinner, but much more flexible, at the peak of the storm, and obviously this is symbolic of life storms, not just a hurricane, it bends, sometimes it bends all the way parallel to the ground. But when the storm passes, guess what? The palm tree rises up again and is straight and has survived the storm. So we're asking people to be more palm trees and less oak trees. I've heard people say, I'm not changing. This is not going to change me. This is how I've done things my whole life. Well, guess what? You're going to pay a price for that attitude. We have to be flexible. I have to be flexible and give up all my dreams of traveling the world and, and giving all these talks and sit down and write a book and, and pivot and, and become a navigator. But you know how many opportunities have opened up as a result of that? Taking action, doing something different, maybe even outside of your comfort zone. Because a lot of times, you know, we stay in our comfort zone because we're scared. I stepped outside of that. I had never co-written a book with somebody else. It turned out to be this great, adventure in a lot of ways. I can't wait to co-write with him again. And it's not going to take him two or three years to get another book out. Now that I know that this is doable. So next, it'll take you two open, weeks next open time. Up your heart. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, honestly, it's <laughs> insane that we, we did this for in, in 45 days, but seriously, I know what you're saying. I'm just opening up my heart and my, uh, my mind to more opportunities. And in the end, because I know our time is short. It's very important to, to do the last key, to, the seven keys to navigating a crisis, which is to be of kind and to be of service to other people. And I challenge people listening every time I talk to, and you know what? I've gotten pushback on that I, from several people. They said, Dr. Elia, you're asking me to help other people when I'm drowning myself. I'm more stressed out than ever before. I can't help anybody else. And then they'll go, what am I, my brother's keeper? 
And I'm like, no, you're not your brother's keeper, but you're your mother's keeper and your sister's keeper and the homeless person down this, you know, at the end of the block and somebody 10,000 miles away in India. We're all connected. We're all brothers and sisters. And if you're listening to this radio show, I promise you there's, you're better off than somebody else, either within your extended family, in your neighborhood, in your community, in, in your state, in your country, or somewhere in the world. And when we perform acts of kindness and service, it makes us happy. That's an innate uh, consequence of taking those actions. On the Don't you side, actually, course, when that happens, you actually, there are certain chemicals in your body that you, that you yes. release that are yes. positive yes. That, and, and gets yes. back to your happiness. Um, I, I think that's true. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to benefit you as well as the person that you're helping, your acts of kindness. You know, it's interesting. I just wanted to read, you know, you mentioned being flexible and uh, I've always, I'm a flexible person. Uh, and so I find myself having less difficulty than friends. And this describes, I think, exactly what you're talking about, who very routinized, uh, routine, very rigid in terms of how they want to live their lives and what they want to do. And they've had ext- much more difficulty adapting to this this crisis or all of these crises, I guess, uh, than yes. people I know, yeah, who are who are flexible. I think no, you're flexible. To- you're yeah. totally right. And, and listen, think about, take this sports analogy. I don't care, you know, what sport, basketball, baseball, you know, soccer, football. Uh, what do athletes do before the game starts? They're out in the field like half an hour before the kickoff begins. What are they doing out there, typically? They're stretching. Think about it. All these elite athletes, the best of the best, professional, they make millions of dollars. Every time before they play the game, they're out there stretching. Why do they stretch? What is the, what's the reason for being, why do they need to be flexible? Because if they don't, they're going to pull a hamstring or worse. Okay, think about now as an emotional hamstring. If you're unbending, you're going to break to do, during this crisis. I promise you. It, so it's not a matter the toughest or the strongest will survive. It's the most adaptable and the most flexible will survive. And I even dare say they might even thrive during this crisis. Isn't that what happened uh, in terms of evolution? Uh, I mean, the Indeed. dinosaurs weren't able to adapt or, you know, when species aren't able to adapt, they, that, 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 that sort of, that ends it, right? I mean, it's, as you say, adaptability, that's the key, right? But we need this more than ever now. Again, this, isn't, this is not the time to debate should I be adaptable and flexible or not. You have to do it right now because it will extend not only your life, but it will reduce your stress. If you try to control everything, and you know, it's human nature. I know we all feel out of control to this. I, I know this is not easy. If, if Dr. Fauci were to come out and say, you know what, guys? He, you know, the trusted, uh, you know, doctor of America. If he were to come out and say, look, this thing is going to be over October 31st, no matter what. After that, we we'll go back to normal. You and I would probably look at him and go, Man, we've been into this for six months now. He's asking us to do it for another two and a half months. But we would do it because we know there's a deadline. You know, I think I can endure for another uh, two and a half months. It's not going to be easy. I'm already sick and tired of this. There's fatigue, you know, pandemic syndrome fatigue, right? Yep. But I'm going to do it. But what's problematic about this is we don't know when this is going to end. And that's very hard for human beings. To, to grasp within their minds and hearts. That's very difficult. So as a result of that, we have to be 
we have to approach things differently, very different than we've ever done before. And that's not a bad thing necessarily because it forces us to go outside of our comfort zone and that's truly where growth happens. Whether it's physical growth or emotional or mental or spiritual. So we're in, in essence, we're being forced out of our comfort zones. I think this is a good point. We have four minutes left, but unpredictability, I think, is is really what's really tough for everybody. And as you say, not I think as human beings, but as a culture, um, we have, you know, Americans, this particular culture anyway, and we want answers, we want to act, you know, we want answers to our questions, and then we want to act on them, and then we, we want to prepare, and we want to feel like we... We're in control, I think, uh, but uh, un- the unpredictability is is really overwhelming. I think creates a lot of, of trauma for most, for many, if not all of us. Um, yes, absolutely. But why do we have to be in control that much? It's okay not to be in control. Just control the things you can. I control whether I walk. I control whether how much TV and the news I listen to. I control, you know hopefully my sleep, I control what food, like I'm actually eating healthier now than I have ever before in my life because my stress level has gone up. So I have to practice better self-care than I did before. And it's a conscious decision, honestly. And it's actually good for me. You know, my concern is that once this pandemic is done, that I may go back to my old habits. I want to, so I'm preparing myself. I want to maintain all the things that I'm doing that are healthy now that I've increased my self-care I want to maintain that long after the pandemic is gone because it makes me feel better. I hope I can. I, I don't know if I will. I feel right now I have to do them. So we'll see. We'll see. But instead of being victims, uh, the more I listen to you, I mean, view all of this as a challenge in a positive way. These are challenging times it to eat better, to be healthy, yeah. to do all of that. We have a couple minutes left. So tell us, uh, because I know you've obviously you wrote this book, but you've done a lot of other things. So you know, websites that we can go to for this book as well as other books that you've written and work that you're doing. Um, so where to get sure. more information um, about you. So, yes, thank you for that. I mean, you can get both books, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness and Seven Keys to Navigating Christ. They're both found on Amazon. And as far as websites are concerned, thehappinesscenter.com is my corporate one, and my personal one is dreliagregoris.com. And uh, most people actually find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn seems to be the, the place now uh, to connect with people, so uh, that's another place. Ilya Gregoris, LinkedIn, The Happiness Doctor. That's where you find me. Great. Great talking to you today. We've been talking to Dr. Ilya Gregoris, Ph.D., author of Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, A Practical Guide to Emotionally Dealing with Pandemics and Other Disasters. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 